I'm Neil Piggott. Welcome to episode one of Making Art. Each episode of Making Art will feature a conversation between me and a fellow artist about their life and how they do what they do. On occasion, the show will also focus on an arts or cultural event that's escaped the attention of the mainstream media. So over the course of the next few months, I'll be speaking with friends, acquaintances and total strangers in their own creative space. The conversations will be unstructured and freewheeling, rather than pointed or driven. I'll follow their lead, not pursue my own as much as I can. What I'd like the series to offer is an insight into the human experience of creating work, that we will capture something of the essence of each person's individual process, how they go about doing what they do, their personal journey of making art. Each episode will be released alongside an article that will appear first in the Daily Review, the online arts news and opinion pages published by Ray Gill. It's a great site, and if you have an interest in the arts, I encourage you to jump online and have a look. They'll also appear on the Making Art website, www.makingart.com.au. My first interlocutor is the visual artist Lewis Miller. Miller shot to prominence in 1998 when he won the Archibald Prize, arguably Australia's most celebrated arts award, with his portrait of fellow artist Alan Middleman. He followed that up in 2000 with the Sporty Bald, the Art Gallery of New South Wales Sporting Portrait Prize with his picture of Ron Barassi, and just last year when he was awarded the Rick Amor Self-Portrait Prize with, yes, a self-portrait. I met with Lewis in his studio in the Melbourne Bayside suburb of St Kilda. As with many artist studios which are in dilapidated inner urban buildings that are being repurposed while awaiting redevelopment, Lewis shares a space with 12 other artists above a mechanics workshop. And he's dressed like a workman. Blue yakka shirt and trousers, plumber's blue, as he himself refers to it. After showing me the two pieces he's currently working on, a portrait of his accountant for this year's Archibald and a still life of a pineapple, he made me what I have to say was a rather good coffee. And I began by asking him about his relationship with his workplace. Here's Lewis Miller, complete with passing traffic, background voices, and the sound of the odd creaking chair. This, this space, pretty important, because um, I come here every day, I usually come here every day, even on weekends, I'll find I'm allowed to come here on the weekends, and uh, because I've been here for so long, it's, um, it's like another room of our house now, it's just somewhere for me to go. I suppose, without wanting to be too cliched, it's that shed thing, you know, the men's, the den or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, because I'm able to come to the studio every day, I do. Mm. And people, people who decided to teach, um, they, they get the uh, luxury of an income and it's, it's rare for them to go to the studio because I can see a few people here who teach for sort of half full time. They're in maybe once a week. Mm. And it's, it's very precious to them. But the thing is, if you don't come to the studio, nothing gets done. Yeah. And, and even if you're not doing much, I find, a little bit of something gets done. A little bit. And then sometimes that's... Uh, Was that just... That could be just reflection. 
Yeah. You're just looking at something. Yeah, yeah there's that. But there's all, all, always something to do to keep yourself busy, where it's like framing or, um, or varnishing or, or even more importantly, going through things. And I do a lot of, um, uh, what's the word, destroy, I don't want to say destroying, but that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm destroying, destroying? destroying pictures that, that, uh, that, have got a, that I'm a bit suspicious about, that might have a bit of a whiff about them. It doesn't take much. And, um, what are you talking about? Things that you've just recently painted, or wrong, things could, that could be. Yeah, it, it could easily be something I've just done, or something I've done five years ago, or because, or something that's sort of half completed. That yeah. you, oh, don't worry, that's the phone. Is that your phone? It's my phone. It's, a, it's a, probably a commission. No, <laughs> it's, I wouldn't worry about that. Uh, you, you can tell when it's a commission. It rings different. Does it? More insistent. Yeah, and doesn't <laughs> stop. <laughs> How often do you get those phone calls? Oh, well, well, occasionally, occasionally. But getting back to, to getting rid of pictures, I think it's, for me, it's, um, it's very, I get a lot of pleasure out of getting rid of a picture um, because I know that it'll never be seen again because I, I, I roll them up and put a, a new Stanley blade in the Stanley knife and turn them into ribbons. So it's kind of a ritual. Yeah. It's like it, a, an organised ritual. Oh, yeah, and it doesn't take long. And I, I get a real uh, bit of a lift out of it because I think, well, there's another one gone. And I start looking around for more. And uh, sometimes it sometimes it's, uh, can be a bit of a disaster. But recently I had a phone call, an email from my gallery, Australian Galleries, and they said, have you got such and such a picture? And I, and I felt a bit sick in my stomach. Oh, no. And I thought, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I thought, oh, I'll go down to the studio. And I was walking down and I think, oh... I think I might have, um, I could have put the, the knife to that one. And I got here and I looked and there's a section over there which is sort of like the purgatory for pictures. Right. But they're not quite dead yet. And, and hell, picture, picture's waiting room. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and there it was, off the stretcher, in really good shape, and the stretcher was there and the frame was there for it. And so obviously I hadn't, I hadn't Made decided to kill it yet. And, um, so I, and I put it back together and that was a payday. So, well, that's you know the you talk about people who teach. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, how do you balance that uh, the the economic realities of living in a contemporary society with the desire to do what mm. you do? And I, I guess you've you've found a way. Well, so far, and I think it's an attitude too. If I mean, this it's an impossible thing to think that you could support yourself. Well, it was a strange thing to think you could think could support yourself, but by adopting that attitude, things start to go for you a bit. I think, mm. uh, and I think, if you're comfortable in a teaching job which is well paid, it's a different attitude, it's sort of a more of a part-time attitude to to making pictures. Mind you, in the you know up until recently, it was considered completely normal. Well, most, uh, so many, and a mutual friend of ours, for instance, Alan Middleman, yeah. he, he, he taught. Yeah, and Gareth Sansom. Gareth... Uh, Who just had an exhibition yes. at... Uh, Absolutely fed off, off the uh, energy and the youth of students. And, and, and you can see that in his pictures, yeah, actually. Yeah. And so he didn't do it because he felt he had to, because he loved it, and, you know, and it, did, it did help him. He's always um, you know, uh, got a lot from... Younger, younger artists, shall I say? Mm. But uh, it was considered you would—that's what you'd do. Would... You do. You feel like the Raw Group made a huge impression on Gareth, 
Or yeah, did, did yeah. Gareth make a huge impression on the Royal Group? Well, I think they were a little bit cynical of everyone. They were, a bit, they were like the punk rockers, you know, as you remember. They were, yeah. yeah they were and like, right. fuck you, everyone, we're going to do it our way. Yeah. Um, we'll, 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 we don't need you art dealers anymore. Um, and initially, a lot of people were a bit suspicious, but they were such a, a, you know, a friendly bunch of guys when you got to know them that people, the cynicism was dropped pretty quickly and everyone sort of went along for the ride. Um, and Gary's always been someone who, who would sort of uh, applaud any sort of bucking of um, the system like that, I think. How do we go on to Gary? He'd like that, wouldn't he? Um, <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. No. It's part of the joy of it. Yeah. Did things change for you dramatically, do you think, when you... Was it 98 that you... Yeah, no, 20 years ago. 20? God almighty. Mm-hmm. And that was Alan Middleman? Yeah, it was Alan Middleman. It was the third picture in a row oh. of Alan. That you'd submitted to the Archibald? Oh, no, the third picture of Alan in a row. Right. The, the fir- there, was two, there were two submitted prior, two hung... That they were hung. And then the third one, for some reason, I approached Jenny Bannister and I'd made a drawing of Jenny and she was happy to do it. But the um, this is the year that I won. Yeah, 98. Yeah, and uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't get Jenny around to the studio and I, and I started to panic. I think, oh, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to sack her. Sack the subject. I sacked my subject. And then I rang up Alan and then that year we won. So that was a good, uh, a good decision in the end. Did it change things for you? Yeah, I suppose. So. Well, I hadn't been, I hadn't been abroad for about thirteen years, and uh, I got up and, and went away because my dad died about two weeks after that. After that, um, right? Where that, was he? Well, he was here in Melbourne. Right. Yeah, but um, so it was very up and down, very you know, tumultuous. Tumultuous, shall we say? And I had, yeah, I hadn't been abroad since. 1984, I think. That would have been the year you graduated, was it? Or not no, long no, after no, you graduated? Not long after, yeah. yeah. I worked at the Gas and Fuel in Footscray, uh, the Gas and Fuel Corporation, taking bills. Uh, and uh, part of my job description was to sell appliances. I said, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and they said, you have to. I said, well, I'm not doing it. You can sack me if you want, but I'm not doing it. I don't know what they're, what they're, how they work. So I said, oh, all right, just stay in the booth. Uh, and then when I had three months to go, they put me into a clerk's position in the that old building of the Gas and Fuel Corporation. In, in the in Princess Street. Bridge. Yep, uh, and on 16th floor. And it was very much like the office. It was Ricky Gervais's. Yeah. You could, you could smoke and there was a tea lady. And uh, That was, was a thing you could smoke everywhere. Yeah, yeah. and there was, there was a, the uh, office flirt. Yeah, that wasn't you. No, 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 it was very good. And I had a, a, a gay boss... What was his name? Wally, Wally something or other. And on my last day, I did portraits of them all. Yeah. And then uh, collected my little bit of super and off to Paris or London. What's it? You, 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 when you said, uh, you know, I haven't been to Europe since, well, it sounds like 14, you hadn't been for 14 years. Yeah. Did you, was that a loss to you? I mean, the fact that you hadn't been, I mean, what do you get when you go to Europe? I mean, what is it that you go, aside from the fact that the... the the food's not bad. I, I felt I had unfinished business in, in London, especially because I'd been there with a friend of mine, and we'd had a, a like a bed sitter, and we had to return in a hurry because of an illness. Yeah. And I always f- felt I had this inertia that like uh, that I had to get back, and because yeah. uh, I was going to make a go of it, I was going to get a job or you know that 
You're going to make a go of it as an artist or as a person in Europe? Just just trying to stay there because I've got a passport. I've got a British passport. All right. And uh, so I could. And uh, I didn't... I always had this feeling of unfinished business even though I was away for about three months and I'd done the sort of gone brick tour of European art. I didn't go to Germany. I went to London and Paris and Spain, Italy. Did you feel... Did you feel... You know, I, I, uh, I was educated overseas and I came back to Australia when mm-hmm. I was 15 or 16, 15 I think, and um, I spoke with a plum in my voice. I'd been living in Southeast Asia and gone to international schools and all the roles I played as an actor in my early days were the foreigner. You know, I mm. played the, the Duke of this or the, you mm. know, whatever. And I didn't believe that I was an Australian. And, and, yeah. and so I actually went to Britain, I think, in the late 80s, you know, 88 or something like that, in order, to, in order because I believed that, you know, I, I was suffering from the cultural cringe, I yeah, guess. Yeah. And I remember getting into the back of a black cab in London thinking I was finally home yeah. and saying, um, G'day, mate, I'd like to go to Bayswater, but I wouldn't mind a bit of a look around first. <laughs> and it sounded, I went, oh, that doesn't sound very British, you know. You realised that you weren't but, posh at all. No, but did oh. you, was that was that something for you? That that kind of notion of, 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 of you know, like it's there, the, the yeah. cultural world is there? Yeah, I always thought that, and I suppose that's a sort of a 1950s attitude, or that, that England was home. Because my father was born in England, but he was quite young when he came out. Yeah, so it wasn't really a kind of familial connection. I mean, there was, yeah, but... Yeah, yeah. but, but it, well, I suppose I knew I, if I wanted to, I could stay there. So that was a bit of a fantasy, I suppose. I, always thought, I thought it'd be nice to go to the Royal College and do a postgraduate there. But I didn't really research anything terribly well. You don't when you... you, know, no, you just no, go. I, I was sort of wide-eyed and... So getting back to the Archibald, though, yeah, and the way yeah. that it changed things, aside from the, the fact that you got to go to Europe... Yeah. Um, well, it... Because it, it's such a famous prize, mm. it's, you know, it's, it's very accessible because it's, it's not threatening to people because everyone who are non-art people, don't, they, they, um, they own it. They, 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 they don't own it, but they... Don't feel threatened by it. And is it is that can the same be said to a certain extent of portraiture though? Yes, yeah. yes, and the, and and every man's when I say every man's every man's idea that I know what someone looks like and I'll make up my own mind about whether that's right or not, whether it's good or not. Yeah, Hence but the, it's a familiar form. It's not like yeah. uh, abstraction or modern yeah. figurative or, or contemporary art. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, it's it's something that people can go. Oh well, that's a painting of yeah. a person. Yeah. Um, and so it ceases it, because the because of that familiarity it, it ceases to be. Yeah, it's 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 an and it's an event like um, the Melbourne Cup or the Grand Final. Not not as big as that, but it's it's quite a big an event, quite a big event. Certainly in, in Sydney when the, the opening night, it's a big event. You know, it's a hot ticket. Um, and my father had entered the Archibald in 1967 when I lived in. Uh, Chadston, the Commission House, and my brother and I uh, had to get out of our room for that painting because Dad was going to enter a picture and he had needed a studio. He hadn't built the studio in the backyard yet. So, and I remember that, uh, and, and I remember who he painted. It was this doctor, uh, Max Upfall, and it was accepted. Now, but I, I thought to myself, why didn't he go again? I, I don't know why he didn't enter again. Portraiture wasn't his main focus no, though, no it wasn't it wasn't really but it was a pretty good picture and um, Where, do you still have that picture no he gave it to the doctor all right yeah um and it was funny because about 
let's say 67, 77, 80, about th 25 years later I was at a party, a party in uh, Dalgetty Street and, and I had my second picture accepted from the Archibald and I was talking to this guy at the party I just met about this story about my father painting this man, Dr. Max Upfall. He said, oh, that's interesting. I said, why is that? He said, because that's my father. <laughs> so, and he it, didn't decide to paint him and to, to no, no, him. No, no, but, but that was an incredible coincidence, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. What made you just, what drew you to portraiture? Um, it was, um, I probably, because I was, I was always drawing as a kid and I knew I could, it was a, the class trick. I could, I could get him, I could get attention. I could, mm. you know, that I could get, you know, I could show off. Yeah. Um, that was something I could do. Um, but the thing is, when I got that attention, I would blush horribly. I don't know about you. I mean, if, you, if you're gifted in, in any field like that and you excel with it, and then you get the repercussions of being ter ter terrifically embarrassed about it. I, 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 <laughs> you know, I wouldn't say that I'm gifted, but I, certainly I, we, we were out the other day, uh, my girlfriend and I, and we went to a place. She's, she's doing a work actually for a show in Singapore, and uh, we were getting some frames flopped at this place in Dandenong, and this woman said, you've been here before. And I said, no, I haven't. She said, oh, I know you. And I still struggle with how to, how, how to deal with that. Mm. And luckily I had uh, Hannah who intervened. Oh, recognition. Said, yeah, I yeah. still, well, you know, do you, I just never know what to say. Do I say, well, you may remember me from such, <laughs> such things as blah, blah, blah. I'm pretty sure she didn't see the last play I did. Not mm. that. No, I'm assuming well, that not many people go. did at all. What no, I actually, no, I mean, no, 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 that's true, Lewis. No, um, you've got to come no, no, an opportunity the, like that, go. No, the 27 of them, the, the, they've <laughs> all expressed a, a great deal of gratitude <laughs> for the effort that I put in over those four weeks uh, of performing. Um, I was able to, so in the 70s, I'm a little bit older than you, but everyone had long hair, so at least you could lean forward and your hair would cover, your, would cover my embarrassment, my flushing, my blushing. Because, um, but now, but when now when you had short hair, you couldn't do that anymore. So, um, yeah, I knew it was something I could do, and I always felt that I had something that a little bit sort of magic that I could do, uh, and I, and that's why I wasn't in in high school. I wasn't um, terribly um, committed to <laughs> passing my HSC, but I was very lucky in a sort of very smart ass way because I before the um, the Form 6 um, exams came out. I'd already had my Billy Elliot, Billy Elliot letter from the VCA. You know, you say you get the opportunity to come here. Um, Mariana well, is obviously yeah. incredibly supportive. Yes, yeah. And, and uh, how, I mean... She's my, she's, uh, my um, studio assistant. Oh. Ah. Yeah. And technically, I, apparently, I pay her. Do you? Yeah, she does all the things that I can't do. Um, she can do all the computer side of things, and she helps with uh, photography and all the technology side of things. Yeah, archiving and tax, very important. Uh, bass, terrible thing, bass. How do how do uh, artists cope with that kind of side of the world? I mean, obviously you've got you're lucky you've got Mariana. You get a partner who can do it for you. I think. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're good at it. Some people are good at themselves. Most people have, have the old coal, coal shopping bag and dump it on the desk. Yeah, shoebox. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I'm painting my account at the moment uh, uh, for the Archibald just over there, Evan Lowenstein. And, um, but Mariana does that all for me. Right. And he says that she's the best he's ever seen at doing that. But um, I, I, I couldn't do that. So aside from the, the fact that she's your studio assistant and, yeah. uh, and does the tax, yeah. I mean... And she's a mum, and a mum. You couldn't exist, no. you couldn't do what you do? No, no, no. Not at all. And, and it is a great luxury to come here. I mean, I, I, I know it is, but, I'm, but, I come in, but I do come here every day. Yeah. So did life change when, because how old's William now, 12? He's, is he 12? Uh, he'll be turning 11 in a couple of months. 11. Yeah. Did life change when William came along? Oh, yeah. Well, it, it was, I, I was panicking, thinking, how will I divide my time? So you, you've been through this a lot younger than me because I'm an old, old dad. But I was thinking, what will I do? How will I go to the studio and maintain my routine? I, th- I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll paint with him in the, in the, the holder, the baby Bjorn holder. Yeah. Of course, I didn't have to worry about it because, of course, you, you divide your time so clearly when you have a child. That you actually well, it, get, puts you, a, it puts a certain structure yeah, into place. Absolutely. And I got so much more work done the year that he was born. Absolutely, a whole lot more. Because I wasn't you know, going out as much. Um, so, yeah, I, got, I think it was one of the most productive years of my life, I think. And has it continued to be? Yeah, I think so, because of that uh, structure. Yeah. 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 I love it when he comes in here. Um, and because uh, I, I remember going to the studio in the backyard with, with my dad, uh, and, and I used to watch him and just hang around and, you know, um, something I did. Is there a time of day that works best for you, or is it just... Uh, whenever or whatever or well, I think probably daylight hours are better uh, um, I do tend to have sort of business hours because when the light goes I, I, I do tend to paint in, in daylight and I don't I've sort of forgotten how to work in electric light so, but I'm so lucky having the, the south facing that's very constant the shadows don't move through mm-hmm. the still light for example because as they would if it was facing East-West yeah. would be impossible. Yeah. I mean, there's things that are, that are not good about the studio. I mean, the ceiling's a bit low and I'd like to have one skylight. I'd love to have a skylight. I mean, but it's, it's pretty good. And I can hear the radio going next door yeah. and you had the radio on when I came yeah. in. Yeah. Is that... There's big troubles with my Bob Dylan. Oh, is there? Yeah, yeah. So do you like music when you paint? Or yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Is it essential? Cause, or is it... Uh, it's not essential. Uh, I found myself painting in, in quiet today. Uh, but I just... Sometimes if sometimes I come in and I'll actually start straight away. Yeah. There's something... And, and I think I'll I'll just make some coffee now or something or I'll put a record on. But before I know it, I'm actually working. I think, well, don't stop. Don't stop. No. You have time to stop later. I mean... Um, uh, because if you're involved in something, you think, well, well, I can put the record on later. It's not, it's not that planned. Sometimes, um, if I have a good day, I might put on something like as a bit of a treat, as a bit of a reward. Yeah. And what if, would be a reward? Um, the Stooges. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and but I can't if people are still here. Why not? Well, I'd have to put it on low, and there's no point. Oh, you mean other people in yeah, the yeah, in the building? Yeah. yeah so. But so I'll, I'll, I'll see if anyone's here and I'll put the door open and I'll put it up as loud as it can go. Now I wanna be your dog. Now I wanna 
That's the mighty Iggy Pop and the Stooges with Now I Want to Be Your Dog, Lewis Miller's celebratory track. I feel a bit like a 70s DJ. You're listening to episode one of Making Art. Making Art is released alongside an article about the featured artist written by me and published first in the Daily Review. The Daily Review is Australia's premier free online arts news and opinion site, and it's totally, totally self-supporting, relying on you, the reader, to keep it going. So if you're a fan of quality arts journalism, I encourage you to get online and have a look. And while you're there, click on the menu and head to the support page. Pay as much as you like. In fact, if it makes you feel good, go ahead, mortgage your house. No, don't. But please consider a modest contribution that will help us maintain quality arts journalism as part of the national discourse. Pay what you can. Make a gold coin donation, and it will also help us cover the cost of making this podcast. Now, you can also visit the Making Art website for helpful links to things that have been mentioned in our conversation at www.makingart.com.au. And guess what? We have a donate page too. Go crazy. Give us all money. And that's the end of the cell. So it's back to my conversation with Lewis. He and I managed to talk for more than two hours, which has necessitated a bit of editing around several dead ends that include the films of George Roy Hill, the lack of shame in Hollywood that saw John Wayne dressed as a centurion saying he truly was the son of God at the end of the film The Greatest Story Ever Told, and the way that films like Lust for Life, the 1950s Van Gogh biopic directed by Vincent Minnelli, created a skewed and romanticised view of the world of the artist. Then we got to talking a bit more about art and his experience of the early days after art school. So here's a bit more of the Stooges, back to Lewis, and whether he found life after art school particularly difficult. Never really that hard because you were doing what you loved. Yeah, it? and and we expected that that things wouldn't happen for ages, and so the the, the expectations were pretty low. We all, as art students, we always think, oh, wouldn't it be great if you could get a show one day? Or, and the idea of being with a gallery was like out of this world, you know. Mm. Um, that would be like someone had really made it, and to, to have an exhibition, you know, because no one's got any any back any any background you're nobody and no one knows who you are mm. uh, so it's just the same now it's exactly the same now do you think so or do you think that there's um an expectation there that sort of things will happen more quickly uh, than or that well there's more it's yeah it's probably harder now because there's more people being pumped out every year and the um this sort of uh fascination with celebrity and um, mass media and social media. Uh, it's, I think it's, it's probably more difficult now. Um, expectations of performing in, the, in an art world. How long, I mean, it's an, it's an ongoing yeah. kind of pursuit. But yeah. I, mean, I mean, how long did it take before you started to feel comfortable about the way that you were painting, do you reckon? I mean, the, that you felt that you were finding a way that sort of worked for you? 
Oh, well, yeah. mm, good question. Um, occasionally, I, occasionally I like the way things are going. Um, but I often think, wouldn't it be awful if you really hated the way you painted? Yeah, it'd be horrible if you really yeah. hated the way you did anything yeah. creative, I think. Yeah. It's that thing, isn't it? It's complicated being uh, a, a, an objective observer of your own... Yeah. But I think as soon as you realise you can't do anything new uh, and you can't really do anything modern, as soon as you let let down your guard about that, then you can get on with doing pictures. And, like, Whiteley said something really good to Stuart Purvis. He said... Good pictures always sell, and it's true. I mean, they might not sell today, but if it's a good enough picture, eventually it'll sell. And then, like, I love all these sort of um, stories of these one lorry called Bon Mots, but there was a very famous art dealer, uh, it might have been Ambrose Vollard or, or Carnwell, I'm not sure, one of Picasso's dealers. He said that he could never truly find the beauty in a picture until it's been so, um, sold. <laughs> The idea that you would it would be possible to do something new is just um, pointless pointless pursuit. Um, so that's when I realised. I mean, I think I realised that all those things that I was that were sort of drummed into me at art school, I could just sort of let them go and uh, and just do paint for a start. Do what I was good at and. Uh, and see how that went for a change, <laughs> rather mm. than doing what was impossible, or attempting. Because art school was a bit, you know, all challenging yourself and out of your comfort zone, and all these sort of cliches. Uh, why wouldn't you do something you were good at, rather than? Because it's always going to be challenging. Um, so that's what I, I try to tell. If I ever have anything to do with the school, which I do about once a year for about a week, I, uh, because they're always getting these sort of one-liners at art school. And someone has to tell them they can do these things if they want to, and they don't have to be, they don't have to say anything, or express themselves if they don't want to. I'm sorry, but again we drifted off into a conversation this time about the extravagant still lifes painted by the old Dutch masters, and speculated on whether they painted pineapples. After 15 minutes down that rabbit hole, we began to talk about the initial fears Lewis had about painting and the handling of that rather capricious material, oil paint. Yeah, but you've got to start at some stage. Yeah. I mean, um, I've got, that's my, up there in the wall is the first oil painting I ever did, which was a painting I, that my father uh, helped me with, which is a piece of a, a plaster cast of a, well, I think it's probably my Glendale's David, a section of his face. Mm. And I just um, found that going through some photographs and things recently. So there's the most recent painting, and that's the, the first oil painting I ever did. It wasn't the first painting I did, but it was the first oil painting. Dad, because he went to the gallery school, that's what they had to do. They had to work in a cast room and work their way through that before they made it to the life room and, and so on. Um, so that was, I'm glad that I did that. It was good. He obviously had a profound influence on you. Yeah, yeah, I think most of the things I learned about, well, the things that he showed me in those few lessons he gave me are still with me. Um, and probably the best things I'd, I'd learnt about um, just mixing colours and, and, and a particular attitude to painting, I guess. What was that attitude? Um, that's really hard to say. Um, well, how is, it, how is it manifested in you, I guess? Well, normally people tend to um, react against 
their fathers um, and what and go try to go some other way. Of course, I was doing that a bit at art school, but I, I seem to have sort of similar concerns in in what interests me in painting uh, as to as to that he did, and we talked about it, Picasso, Matisse, and Rembrandt, and people like that. Um, but I guess it's easy to like those those particular artists. Um, but I like quite plain things in painting, like plain subjects, and because uh, I like like um, Francis Bacon said, I, I haven't got really anything to say, but I I, I want to want to do pictures, um, and I'm not trying yeah I'm not trying to say anything. I'm just trying to to do something, which might be good. It's as simple as that. Because each each picture is is different, um, and I, I I like handling oil paint. I want to see what thing I want to see what things look like. Um, but but I like plain things in painting. You think that people overreach sometimes? Try to to make things seem more than they are. Yes, uh, often I've been interviewed about, um, uh, even with regard to like the, the Archibald or the Moran Prize, people talk about, oh yes, but this person has gone beyond like, beyond the surface, beyond likeness. I always say, oh, hold on there. I mean, when you think about it, that's what I've got. I've got likeness and surface. And as soon as someone says, oh, I can go beyond the surface, you know, I start to think, well, can you really? Well, what have you got? What can you, what can you paint? Well, when you paint a person, though, what, do you, what are you trying to capture? I, I'm I just mean, trying I look to... at the middleman one. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I mean, it is a representation. And to know, if you know Alan yeah. Middleman, as we both do, yeah. um, it captures the, uh, a certain quality of Alan's, the, the wryness, the, but also the... The naivety that Alan has, yeah. the kind of charming naivety that he has around certain things. Do you look for different things in different people, or first of all, I'm trying to to, to not um, not fail. I'm, I try to make something which is going to be acceptable, and then uh, you've got with a portrait there has to be this thing of likeness. But with that particular painting you talk about, there are, I think it's such a large picture there. Are, I remember doing it. There were a number of expressions all mixed up in the one face because mm. uh, his face wasn't static when I was was painting it, and so I think there's a number of expressions all mixed up there. But like uh, mostly, uh, we we spoke about the perils and the potential dangers of doing a portrait. It's it's mostly about trying to not look like um, you don't know what you're doing. That's <laughs> because they always go through those phases. And so if you can get something which, which looks presentable, then maybe you can then go to work and make it, make it better. What does that mean? That mean? Well, you're just searching, searching for, for clues and information that will move you forward. So, and uh, understanding more about what, what's going on in that face to, to make it more like that person. But, if, but people will say, oh, I go beyond surface. I, I, I can't really understand. I mean, I know what people are trying to say. They're trying to say that perhaps that you're capturing an essence of yeah, the, well, the quality of the human. Or yeah, I know, but you know, but I, but I don't. It's it's a bit absurd to me to think. Oh, to, look, I've got this far. Tomorrow I might do the essence bit. You know, yeah, it's bullshit. I mean, if you get something, 
it can be a happy accident or it can it can be got through through uh, good drawing or good good um, appreciation or some sort of rapport with the subject you even if you know even if you try as, as hard as you can and everything's going well you can still get nothing um, but you can be lucky and get something but to to say oh I, I, I know I go beyond that is you know a bit ludicrous I think um, I mean, they always say that about Rembrandt, and, that, and it seems to be true with Rembrandt. It well, seems, there's a luminescence yeah, there, but isn't the, there? And, but the paint is so beautiful, and uh, they don't really know how how he did it. I mean, it's, they're fairly direct pictures, but there's something magical about them. Um, there's a picture up there um, with this, I think it's the second last or last self-portrait in the National Gallery. And every time I see it, I think this is this is the best picture in the world, well, for me. But um, it is pretty amazing. Um, well, 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 but, but he was Rembrandt, you know. He could, he could do, he, he got something because he was good. But he wouldn't have tried to, well, he was trying to make it work, I guess. And, and, and I suppose give some sort of feeling. Is that, that's better, isn't it? Rather than saying, I can look beyond the surface. Because surface is what you've got. Well, I know as an actor, you, what you're trying to do is cr create an emotional connection mm -hmm. between you and the, well, the, you and the audience in our case, but I yeah. guess in yours, it's between you and the viewer. Is that something that you consciously aim for, or is it something that, I mean... I think I, if you're trying to, it's this balance of working with your conscious application uh, and allowing your subconscious to come through and that's when I'm when I'm working with someone I, I encourage them to talk and I'll talk back so that it's not always completely cold-blooded in, in the application sometimes you have to take it on trust a bit that things will happen as if you as if you're sort of a, observing yourself at work you yeah. get to that point now you, you know what I'm talking about there um, well then you've got to get beyond that point of observing yourself don't you where you where you, 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 it's it's being consciously unconscious, if you like. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's um, it. You're moving through those various phases, like what, what, what's that thing? Um, uh, unconsciously incompetent, consciously incompetent, consciously competent, unconsciously competent. Yeah. Getting to the unconscious, unconsciously competent stage, where or un you know where you actually. I don't know. The thing is received, and it's on the and it, and it. You make it, and people without a it. without a catching on anything on the yeah. way through, if you like. People look for it in different ways. Of course, people like Whiteley used hard uh, uh, drugs and hallucinogens, and he, he liked to have whiskey before he started drawing. A couple of big big bolts of belts of whiskey, um, but inevitably that is um, unsatisfying because you you get tricked into thinking that things are better than they are, or even though he was able to do some pretty good things with substances. I don't think they were ever as good as the things he did before that. Um, so you, you try to, try to uh, be in a, in a, I don't know what to um, You know, you get enough, try to get enough sleep, not too much coffee, not, not too little. <laughs> Uh, everyone's, you, you know, you've got the, you know, if you want music on, you don't want music on, 
conversation going, and then you try and do something. Yeah. And try and do something, and and you might get something, and you might not. But that's that's part of it. You're not always going. It's not always going to work. No, it is that thing, isn't it? Mm. I mean, it, you can only you can only work on something that you're working on. Uh, I find when I was doing a series of drawings for, for Watson at the lab that after I'd done quite a lot of them, it was really coming quite freely because I was just I was it was my brain was fit, my hand and my eye were fit. Was, it is a muscle. Yeah, and it uh, they were coming out pretty well because I had two hours with each person and I couldn't. I couldn't go back to them. I wasn't using photographs, so, and most of them worked. Yeah. But it was this incredible pressure, and I was getting a, a lot of um, sort of um, stiffness in my back, and um, I didn't realise at the time that I needed glasses. I was getting to that point where I just needed to have glasses. That was, but um, they had to work, and so, it, so uh, two hours. Here's a drawing. Next person. Getting back to your dad, yeah. uh, social realist painter, yeah. uh, and you said, you know, some of the things he said to you about about painting have stayed with you. Yeah. Uh, you were kind of pretty much supported in what you chose to do. You chose to become a painter. Yeah, because of course not everyone is. I mean, a lot of, a lot of um, young people who go to art school are doing it against the wishes of their parents and want them to go in, you know, into the old man's business and, uh, and get a proper job, all those cliches, but a lot, a lot of people face that negative uh, reaction. But I had, I had a free run there. I didn't have any pressure to get a job or make, make money or anything like that, so I could just... And you didn't come, I mean, you were, it wasn't a wealthy family. No, no, not at all, not at all. It's not like lower, you... I guess lower middle class dad was a school teacher and mum was bringing up the, uh, us kids and there wasn't a lot of money around. We lived in a concrete house in Chadston, um, even though it was quite bohemian, to tell you the truth. Folk singers and draft resistors. <laughs> um, you know, communists everywhere, and uh, <laughs> it was great. Mind you, I, I just wanted to live across the road in the triple brick, uh, triple front of brick veneer in Mount Waverley with, with bought soft drinks in the fridge like everyone else. Yeah, I used to love going to my grandfather's place because he used to get the Slade's man. Oh, yeah, well, that's, that was Bosch. Yeah, yeah, or the Tarek's man it might have been yeah. anyway. Lloyd's, it was Lloyd's. The Lloyd's yeah. man. Because we had, we had water, my mother was... We had fruit saline. <laughs> we had, um, my side here of an icy pile was a quarter of an orange that had been stuck in the freezer, which yeah. were terrific. Yeah, yeah, we used yeah. to do that too. Uh, I had a friend, Stephen Marshall, and we used to go to his place after school it was about 1970, and in the cupboard they had a, a very large Tupperware container with individual um, Herbert Adams cakes, like Ninish tarts and Ooh. mince, uh, what do you call those, vanilla slices, bought ones. Uh, we had... Bought cakes. I would make biscuits once a fortnight, and she used to count them before she went to work, and <laughs> she'd come home and open the jar, and if there were any missing, she, she'd go pointing the finger. Yeah, you always want your... What, what you, what you Who had them? Oh, well, not me. It was John. I used to always play my brother. Poor bugger. He got into trouble for everything. Did you have cordial? Not really. Um, Junkers? No, I'll try it. You know, we... Every now and then, for a treat for dessert, we got rice cream. Oh, yeah. Remember rice out of, cream? A, out of a tin? Out of a tin. That's right, yeah. I, I don't know if you can still get that. But, but so... Uh, rice cream and milk? Yeah. And maybe some sort of, I don't know, raisins on top or something, a bit of brown oh, sugar. Oh, yeah, yuck. Yeah. 
But so, <laughs> did you talk often about painting, you and your father? I used to go down and uh, just sort of sit with him, and we used to have a pool table in his studio down the, down the backyard. And um, so when we became teenagers, my brother and I would all play pool, and Dad would be painting, and so it was just part of our lives that it would. He'd be there working and we'd be there listening to music because the record player was down there. Mm. And we only had about four records. And, uh, and it became a bit of a, a social hub for uh, all the boys around the area, friends of ours, and, and they used to love coming to Dad's studio and talking to Peter about what he was doing and everything. He liked it too as well, I think. Um, was but, he a prolific painter? Uh, I don't think you'd call him prolific. He was fairly constant, and he used to, and later on it, he sort of stopped having exhibitions, and felt a bit sort of like uh, fed up with the whole thing. Um, as I guess he he sort of taught his whole life and tech schools, and I guess by the time he got home he was so tired. Did he teach? What did he teach? He used to teach art, and um, and he taught at William Angler School for a while, teaching sign writing and things like that. But mostly in tech schools, like in uh, in the early 60s, he was working out at uh, Ringwood Tech, and then they moved him to Tottenham, and well, before that, Brunswick, and then Tottenham, and... Uh, was, was he teaching, like, graphic design, or...? Yeah, teaching all that sort of stuff, yeah, yeah. And, and, and art, but to tech, tech school kids, so pretty tough kids. And he used to bring back, uh, for me, uh, sample boxes from the uh, suppliers of, you know, they they'd give him a box of acrylic paints or something like that. So there was always um, stuff to work on, which was good. But uh, I only really started getting serious about it when I was about 13 or 14, um, thinking uh, what I would do. But it was always faces, because you used to draw the... Yeah. 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 You, never, you didn't sort of go traipsing off to the yu-yangs and... I used to go with him in the car to... Uh, he'd sort of uh, like go to somewhere like um, Donvale or on the way to the Dandenongs. Which was all farmland in those yeah, days. Yeah, and, and he'd, he'd prop himself up on a bit of high land and, and pull out a bit of masonite and do a painting. And I'd just watch him. Just watch him. And so it was uh, something. And, and he always took me along for that. And when we were on holidays, he would always be painting, doing landscape and little drawings and things like that. So it was just, it was just normal. Yeah. So it, I suppose it was, it made sense. I was a bit frightened of the whole idea of painting because I, I knew I could draw a bit, but I thought, oh, what about painting or oh, oil painting? You know. Um, you, so that's the first, up on the wall, the, yeah. first, the first oil painting. I mean, mm -hmm. What was it like when you first handled oils? Do you remember what the feeling was like? Uh, I suppose, I, I can remember it. Um, but I, th I can't remember how much of, of it that he did, you know, to tell you the truth. Because when I, when I got into first year painting, I had a couple of pictures that I'd started with Dad, like Su Suzanne-esque still lives. And, uh, and I brought a couple of them along to sort of keep working on. And there was one that Dad had done quite a lot of work on. And remember Paul Pardo said, well, that one's good. <laughs> The thing is, I hadn't actually done much on it. Oh, Paul Pardos was yeah. one of your... Yeah, he was one, of, he was one of the better ones. Uh, he ended up in Canberra, at the School of Art in Canberra. Was or, he? Yeah. Or I may have... Well, interestingly, he w he had to go against the wishes of his family, which was a famous Pardos framing. Yeah. It's still going. They wanted him to go into the framing business. 
And so he had a struggle against that. But he uh, he pointed out this one painting uh, that I that normally I'd done. But he said, well, he said, well, they're on, they're no good. But that one's good. And I thought, oh, that's the one that Dad did most of. <laughs> uh, I should have told Dad that story. I think he would have. He would have got a good chuckle out of it, I reckon. Yeah, but uh, Paul was really good because he he uh, he told me not to not to worry about. It. Don't try and look like you know what you're doing and. And uh, just try and do some simple, basic things, you know. Because someone like Gareth Sansom, who was doing this sort of, uh, sort of, international contemporary painting style, well, that wasn't. Re- I mean, it was really interesting. But you know, I think that's one of the things about a young, young painter or young artist. You've got to work out what it is you're interested in, and work out what you're good at, rather than trying to do what you think you should be doing. Uh, but that, 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 that sort of hung over with me for a long time, that sort of guilt about that, that art school had instilled in us all about, you know, not, never doing the same painting twice and, uh, and all this nonsense about trying to do something new, which is oh, impossible. I, the same yeah. thing used to happen in drama schools. It, it happens this way and then you go out into the real world and there are bits and pieces of it that you apply and you... you 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 t- you use as the kind of like a little foundation for for what is in yeah. the end a journey that begins when you leave the school. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, don't try to be the star of the of the school. Try to be the star later. But it's sort of like um, what was I going to say? Um, oh yeah, that thing. Um, oh, the, you, there were certain things which were no no, which were taboo. It was like, oh, that's just so easy for you, you know. You, oh, that's just so slick, so easy. Like, well, was there something wrong with that? <laughs> if it's good. And, um, but how do you react when you're young when someone says that to you? Because that's well, confusing. Be, it is. Because you've got people from all different angles coming at you, giving you these tutorials. Um, but I remember there was this guy, you know, Derek Hurst, who was a visiting English artist, no relation to Damien Hurst. And he said, look, do what you're good at. You're good at that. Do that. I thought, oh, someone's let me do what I'm good at, rather than uh, and always uncharted territory. You know, always challenge. Well, you're challenging yourself anyway, doing any sort of picture. But um, he said, don't try to be Francis Bacon. You're not Francis Bacon. Just try and do what you're good at. And that was quite liberating. Have you seen him subsequently? This guy? Uh, no, no. I've still got the letter. He. He wrote up his, his report, a report for me, which was very nice. I've still got that. What did he say? Oh, I haven't read it yet for a long time, but I saw it the other day, the letter. This, this is his De- uh, Derek Hurst, not Damien, Damien Hurst, whom, whom I have met. Um, and Damien Hurst and I did drawings of each other. Uh, and we met at the Colony Room Club in, so- in Soho in London. Oh. And uh, he challenged me to do a drawing of him in one minute. And I said, okay, and which I did, tore it out, gave it to him. And then I was timing for his one minute of drawing with me. This yeah. is with a fine line of pen, you know. Yeah. And so after 11 seconds, he said, oh, hang on, start again. <laughs> and I said, oh, nah, uh, uh, no, I said, oh, I don't right, think so. okay, yeah, you're doing it fucking hurst, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he did it. And, um, and then, well, looking him in the eye, he signed it. And I thought, I'll take your drawing. Where's that? I've got it home. Not bad. It's all right. And he, he, he was quite a good... Luckily, I had a sketch pad with me when I met him, which was a bit embarrassing, but it happened to be one of the better ones. 
Better quality sketch paper. Yeah, well, it was sketch drawings. It was full. All oh, right. And uh, we were talking about art school, and he was completely no. How old, we, how old were you then? I was about forty-two or three then when right, I met so him. Um, I've been here a few times uh, subsequent to that. Subsequent later on. Yeah, that'll do. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he was a real lad, you know. He liked talking about art school. He was enthusiastic, and I sort of I liked him. He was all right. You're lovely to see the guy. Isn't it interesting how certain people say certain things to you that stay with you, that actually shape your practice, and you know that can do that either way. If you were to give, and I'm really reluctant. I know you go once a year to VCA and talk to the students there. Yeah, yeah. What do you? What as a result of the experience of yeah. of, of becoming, uh, growing to be an artist in the way that you have what 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 is the thing that you offer them as I, I try to find out how they're feeling about about art school and how and knowing a bit about how art school is now and it's not the art school that I went to even though it's the same name and I, I really ask them how they're coping with it and then I tell them how sort of great it was uh, and how much great fun it was when I was there and they sort of can't believe it the freedom we had and the small number of uh, students and the ratio and I try them, try to see how they're feeling, and and encourage them to to sort of be rebels, really, to to not do, uh, toe the party line, and uh, and I mean, of course there's some good teachers there, but there is this sort of um, fascination with with contemporary art and justifying a bit of this justifying things before you do it, and because you know that yeah that whole how is it going to yeah. Uh, uh, how's it going to be innovative? How's it going to be yeah, excellent? How's, it, how's be? it going to be this? How's it going to be that? Yeah, um, and you know, it's because just about all of them have, have gone in as green kids, um, who some of them like Dali, some all of them like Whiteley, some of them like Escher, uh, some of them like all sorts of weird things. And that's quite nice and pure, and, and to, to have the sort of stuffing kicked out of them a, a lot um, by the art school, I try to find out if that's what they're going through. Some of them enjoying that anyway, and, and get them to, 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 I suppose, yeah, to be rebels and do, do it the, their way. Get, get out of it what they can before they go off and be, get a studio. Mm. Um, and yeah, and, and like to try and not. Uh, fall into those pitfalls that I did of trying to trying to look like I knew what I was doing and I didn't I didn't I just had to try and learn how to paint and that was that one of the main things work out who it is that you really like who you, who you idolize and maybe try and paint like them for a while try and do it see if you can do it um, because it's it's like a little laboratory for a while it's it's this you know it's this fake world it's not the real world, and and there's this sort of bullshit that that the VCA would espouse that they were turning out formed artists, but but getting excited about it, about some, trying to find a connection with some how you might think you might like to paint or someone you really idolise, you know, um, and then just doing some pictures, trying to do some pictures, trying to work out how it goes. I mean, you you do get people like Louise Hearman who did look like they were fairly well formed, uh, even. During art school, she was brilliant. Then, oh, we get Kate Blanchett graduates from NIDA, and she's a she is the yeah. fully formed thing. Yeah, 
But it's uh, rare. It's very Elizabeth Debecki is another one that graduated recently, like a few years ago, and she came out fully formed. Hugh Jackman, we knew about Hugh before he graduated from yeah. Whopper. Mm. Um, that there was this guy coming from Whopper and he was fully formed. And he, of course he was, <coughs> and he's gone on to do great things. I figure when I'm at the VCA for that short amount of time, I've got to, I've got to get through to the ones. What happens is they find me after the course. It was a, it's a week of intensive life drawing or life painting. And then we have this sort of um, exhibition presentation. And after I spoke, they, they find me and they open up and ask me what it was like when I was there. And I try to uh, you know, encourage them as much as I can. But a lot of them, you know, shouldn't be there and uh, don't want to know anything. But, the, but some of them will seek you out. They're the ones that may, maybe might have a chance of doing something. That was Making Art, Episode 1. My thanks to Lewis Miller for allowing me into his creative space. Column for Saxophone Quartet, our theme music that you can hear quietly playing in the background, was composed by Melbourne's Tim Dargaville and performed by Sydney's Continuum Sax. Artwork for the podcast and the Making Art website is by Melbourne artist and graphic designer Darren Henderson of Dirty Good. Technical production is by Matthew Gerber-Korn at Sonic Playground in Port Melbourne, and the show was produced by me, Neil Piggott. If you'd like to see the recent work of Lewis Miller, including The Pineapple, he's represented by Australian galleries, and you can pop onto their website. Join me in a fortnight when I'll be coming to you from a kitchen in Richmond, where I recently sat down at the table and enjoyed a cup of tea with the poet Peter Bukowski. That's our next episode, which will go up, as I said, in two weeks. And don't forget to check out Australia's number one arts pages at The Daily Review and our website, www.makingart.com.au. I'll leave you now with an anecdote from Lewis about the preciousness of art. Or maybe not. Bye for now. Julian Burnside has a huge collection, a personal collection of paintings and, and amazingly sculpture. He's a really great supporter of sculpture. He's a great supporter of the arts yeah, generally. He is. Uh, yeah, he is. Julian and his wife Kate. Are, are often at the theatre. Kate, Kate was very nice to me. She was a couple of years ahead of me in art school. Uh, so I went round a couple of years later after Julian bought the picture and it was in a quite a small room, this looming head of Alan. And he said, well, there it is. There's, there's your picture of Alan. And I noticed there was a piece of what well, looked like white paint on the forehead that I hadn't put there. And I immediately knew what it was. And it was uh, a piece of uh, bird shit. <laughs> Obviously, when they'd taken the picture out of the back of the truck, in that few minutes to get into Julian's house, a bird had shat on it. <laughs> so I asked, I asked Julian, I think if it's your picture, you've always got the right to sort of curate it, I suppose. And I said, well, he's got the right to have the bird shoot on it if he, he wants had to. to. I did ask him. I did ask him if I could just get rid of that. Uh, so I got a bit of tissue and some warm water and uh, cleaned it off. But uh, I think, yeah, it was pretty funny. They just thought it was part of the picture. It was that sort of that Boris Yeltsin spot <laughs> on the forehead. But Isn't uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, you mean? The Gorby. Oh, yeah, 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 Gorbachev. Yeah, yeah, Gorbachev, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's interesting, you know, we do get precious about things, don't we? We get precious about performance, we get precious about art, and there's your picture, and it's got a bit of bird shit on the forehead. Yeah, that's shit happens, isn't it? <laughs> yeah.